0: Well, let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're very thankful for your word, and we're thankful for this day, and we're thankful for a roof over our heads. We ask that you'd give us many more good things. In your son's name, amen. Okay, we're in John, the Gospel of, chapter 7. It's in the middle of a, very, you know, a section that I really enjoy in John. Uh, generally, chapter 6 through 8. 7's right in the middle of that. What I like about it is how you know, sometimes we wish we had the kind of oomph, Tim the Magician type of power, Jesus sort of power, Apostles' sort of power, and then we failed to realize they ignored the Christ, they ignored the apostles. It didn't matter if they raised the dead. You know, it just—you um, think, wow, man, it would be. We had a big discussion this weekend. That most, one guy was affirming that most people will repent on their deathbed if they know the gospel. And I said, no, they won't. What, what kind of positive view do you have of people? So of course we got into a big argument because that's what we do. But I wanted to look at this because here we have Jesus Christ. You'd think you'd kind of know just the vibe you got from the guy. I don't care what, if he looked like Woody Allen or he looked like you know some handsome Jim Caviezel sort of Jesus. You'd think that power, the look in his eye, the sense that these eyes We're looking out of millennia, not just 30 years. You'd think you'd catch something. Well, he had become kind of popular by this, I mean, notable. It is part of John. You had the feeding of the 5,000 shortly before this in chapter 6. You had the healing um, of the guy at the um, pool of Bethsaida on the Sabbath in chapter 5. And that comes up in this passage. You know, it's amazing if you're around feeding 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread. You could heal the guy crippled at the pool, and everybody is really, I mean, it's talk. People are talking. Not because they healed a guy, but because it was on the Sabbath. So certain things are floating in Jerusalem at this point. Early in chapter 7, Jesus' brothers, and it makes it clear in the early part of chapter 7, that his brothers do not believe in him. So this is guys like James. His brother doesn't believe in Jesus. And Jesus doesn't want to go with them to the the Feast of Tabernacles. And he goes down later privately, chapter 7, verse 11. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. What we're looking at is when we're dealing with evangelism or our own growth, primarily our own, because we we respond to barriers put up against us. Don't talk openly about X because the authorities don't want you talking about X. There'll be no mention of this, that, or the other thing because this, that, or the other thing is banned. You can see it in a liberal agenda on one side these days. You'll see it in conservative Christian circumstances and others. I like the phrase, while some said And then others said, we have an assessment. This goes on through this whole passage from verse 11 down to verse 52. It's a matter of assessment. What is the thing I see when I see Jesus Christ? Initially, it didn't matter if you said he was good or he was a false teacher. how people assess him you know that the people who said he was a false teacher weren't right they weren't they weren't correct it really matters what Jesus was doing in this about the middle of the feast Jesus went up into the temple and taught the Jews marveled at it saying how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied that's one of your standard objections to you saying any if you start to say something that evokes a concern or a question or claims a certain mightiness in the hearers, the people who don't want the mightiness are going to say well where did you get your ordination where did you get trained who are you a follower of who, you know, they they, want to check your bona fides. They say, let's look at your resume. And you know that many people in many disciplines have, what is that, stolen valor sort of stuff, that people lie on their resumes about everything, hoping no one will ever check. The nice thing I I always enjoyed, I used to do hiring for the newspaper in the graphics department, and uh, so I got to interview all the designers that would come, want to come on board. It's great, but you don't care about where they went to school. The first thing you say is, what's your portfolio look like? It's what you've done. But sometimes, even though you're in a business about what has been done, not, just, not like art, but like godliness... People are more concerned when they feel that their beliefs or their uh, powers are being challenged. They're going to come back at you in terms of what your qualifications are. So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If any man's will is to do his will, he shall know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Now, it's in red for a reason. And over on the left-hand side, I say, for God's sake and for righteousness' sake. Christ is not in the business of convincing everybody to believe in him. He is in the business of convincing those who seek him and seek his righteousness to believe in him. Simple. He doesn't seem to mind pushing away those who will not. When you are not for righteousness' sake, you are not for God's sake. Look at that phrase. If any man's will is to do his will, the second his is God's, he will understand what I am saying is true. I want you to look, as we go through the passage, at the things that, the barriers that are erected, the things that pass the barriers by. Because we're going to fit. There's a huge gradient of response to God. There's a huge gradient in how people are um, getting religion. He lets them know, he who speaks on his own authority, verse 18, seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. So what's he claiming there? He's saying an ambassador that repeats the words of the president has the claim of the authority of the president. If our ambassador to um, whatever nation was just making stuff up on his own, he would not be an ambassador. He would be looking to generate interest in his own position. Because if I don't give the position of him who sent me, I'm giving my own position. Now, what this is, because you have a desire to do the will of God, you want to know, in truth, whether this man's teaching, this Jewish guy wandering around the temple talking about things, is letting you know what God's will is for you. You want to know that. If he's just making it up, He's just feathering his own nest, his own popularity. Christ is not there to make himself popular, but to give voice to the things that uh, the people of God would want to hear. Now, that's the argument from authority, the argument of Revelation, that says... Uh, This is true because the person who told it to you has reason to be trusted. When you get two witnesses in a murder trial, we saw that guy do it, and you have evidence that they really were there, and they really saw it. It's powerful testimony in the court. We saw him shoot that person. They have reason to know because they witnessed it. As soon as a person says, say a false teacher comes to town, that's not me, by the way, Uh, say a false teacher comes to town and starts saying really interesting things, I mean, really interesting things, you want to know on whose authority are you saying? Christ answers it on two fronts. He says, I was sent by God. So if you desire God and his will, you will recognize what I said. That's the text. But it's because he is claiming to be from God. If he were from God, it would be true. God has reason to know all these things. Now, when you talk to a new teacher who's very exciting and say, uh, he has a dark tan. Maybe he has a couple piercings, maybe some tats, I don't know. Or maybe he's just, maybe he has an accent, no offense, Kenny. Maybe it's an English accent. English accent is not an epistemic source, by the way. I tend to believe anybody who has one, no matter what they say. Um, But uh, it's not, actually. You want to ask a teacher, says who? And if he can look at you, it says, says the living God. Now Jesus could say, says the living God, because I came to you from him to tell you this stuff. And for those of us who didn't come down from heaven, we have to point at the word of God. Because it says in the scriptures. Where does it say in the scriptures? Well, oh, right here. And you open up the Bible and you show them. That's, the, that's the, the knowledge by revelation. It is the voice of authority. Those that would know told you. And then Jesus gives this illustration. Did not Moses give you the law? Verse um, 19. Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Most of them had been established earlier. Jesus answered them, I did one deed. And you all marvel at it. He's speaking of the guy at Bethsaida. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man upon the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. The second form of authority that Christ makes the appeal to is, he says, This is reasonable. Let me show you how you follow this reason in another situation. And he calls them appearances. Oh that looks bad. Yeah, things don't look bad or look good. You should say it is bad, it is good. Right judgment. He basically leads them through by the hand something they already do, and if so, if that is legitimate, circumcision on the Sabbath to make sure that the eighth day law is kept, you have to have the priest do work on the Sabbath. And he's saying, I was making a whole body well on the Sabbath, and it seemed to inflame all of Jerusalem. Judge but with right judgment. So that when someone comes to town and can explain how you're thinking like a child or you're thinking like a fool or you're thinking like uh, someone who doesn't understand where revelation comes from, if you think the stirring tones of an English accent is enough to give something authority, then God help you, you'll be led astray. If you can't follow an argument, if you can't understand what the Lord is saying here, and the Lord does this in the Gospels throughout, where He sets up a little word problem that you have to be able to follow reasonably. If this, then this, and if this, why are you complaining? He will say things like, this is why you were wrong, or isn't this not why you were wrong? You need to know the scriptures or the power of God. And he'll set people up into little problems of, oh, well, how can David say to his descendant, as my, the Lord said to my Lord? And they were just completely confused. Completely, he, he could see or the argument with the Sadducees, he is not the God of the dead, nor but of the living. All based on the tense of the verb because you have to have authority. And the reason, not because we just love to have someone who's good at debate, or we love to have someone who loves to proof text everything and quote Bible at us, because it's not those that love Bible quotations and intellectual debate will follow me. No, those, if they have the will to do God's will. If they have the will to do God's will. They will follow me. They will hear me. Their ears will be open to the revelation of God. And their ears will be open to the reason of God. But not because we think reason is powerful. It's one of the concerns I have with... There's some... been some modern... Purveyors are pretty smart stuff. You, know, you read someone like Chesterton, or you read, or watch Jordan Peterson, or any of those people on, on YouTube, and you he oh, says this is great. It's fun. Neither of them were Christians. Jordan Peterson might become a Christian, but they're just reasonable, which is well and good. But we're not here serving reason. We're here because we want our lives to do the will of God. We want righteousness for God's sake and for righteousness' sake. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? That's the standard uh, conspiracy theory sort of thing. Yeah, Area 51. They know, they all know that there are UFOs and Bigfoot and Chupacabra. Uh, what else? They have photos of the flat earth standing on the back of four elephants. The authorities really know. People begin to suspect that even... Do you ever think that's possible? Do you ever think that's possible? That we had this argument of yesterday that that people who are on their last deathbed moment, they have a chance to confess, repent, and they don't, they wouldn't. How could they, it's common sense that they would. Look, the priests in Jerusalem had their guards running to them from the Garden of Gethsemane, not the Garden of the, the, the Tomb, uh, Some angels showed up, and Jesus came out and went away. Don't tell anybody that. Here's some money. Make up this story. They knew that Jesus Christ, they had the guards of the tomb, because Christ had said he would rise from the dead. He then rises from the dead. Their soldiers report it to them. They know it's true. When you say the authorities really know that this is the Christ... Your desire for the true story is, isn't always enough. It's amazing what we will set aside because we don't love righteousness and we don't love God. You know, we say, well, "What could? What still could be lacking?" You think if I proved without doubt that Jesus was the Christ, of course they'll repent. I'd say 90% won't. Because it's not the truth of it. When Jesus lays these things out, I mean, he's been doing miracles. You, I mean, I, I, I have a small church. I mean, I, I know it's, you know, I always talk about how small it is, but there's some sour grapes in there. You know, you say, well, God, man, if I could just levitate. If I could just heal the sick. You know, people come to church and they'd fall back. Healed. That'd be great. Jesus could do that. He healed a guy and everybody's going, everybody's getting their knickers in a twist about the Sabbath. It doesn't do it. We're sent on false errands. I think Jesus just goes, nah, I'm not going to give that to you. No, I'm not going to tell you this. No, if you seek you'll find. If you ask, you receive. Not if you don't. No, I'm not telling you. just makes everything so confusing. So it doesn't really matter that the authorities know it, but greater judgment on them, I imagine. Yet we know where this verse 27. Yet we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So they had, they had all sorts of things. We got maybe the authorities think it's the Christ, but you know, I've got, some, I've got some views. I've studied the Bible a little bit myself, honey, and I, and I think I know. Uh, you know, it says that nobody's going to know where the Christ comes from, and yeah, we know this guy's from Galilee. So, there. Nice, nice little, but it really isn't the proof text against. It's not the little proof text for. It's not the evidence of the miracle. It's not the evidence of the reason. It is not the claim to being from God. It only matters to the people that seek God and seek his righteousness. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from? You think you know me? You don't know me. I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. And him you do not know. He doesn't say God you do not know. He doesn't say God sent me. He he leaves that hanging. leaves them empty in the middle of a sentence. Who's sending you? The one who sent me. Because the people who desire to do the will of him who sent me will recognize what they hear. Right? They shall know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. They will recognize. If you love righteousness, if you seek it, and you seek God, the God of righteousness, you will recognize the words of Christ. Speaking with the same spirit that you seek. But he doesn't give you a clear proclamation. But he says, I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they sought to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd thus muttering about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I shall be with you a little longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And that's the the sound of one hand clapping. That's the zen of Jesus. We're We're not being clear here for the sake of future church confessions. Just say it. Why isn't it more clear? Because he wants his message only to be heard by those who seek God and his righteousness. And you recognize it just fine if you seek God and his righteousness. You're amazed at at the righteousness of the teaching of Christ when you seek God and his righteousness. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go, that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks, to teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? When I saw The Life of Brian by Monty Python, It was a Middle East humorous piece about following messiahs. The real Jesus is in the movie, in the background, teaching at the Sermon on the Mount, and the guy is from Monty Python in the back of the crowd, misunderstanding everything he says. And so, blessed are the cheesemakers. Why are the, you know, and, and, you know, instead of blessed are the meek, it's blessed are the Greeks. And if you're familiar with the Bible at all, the comedy's already written in the Bible. These people are going, "What's going on?" I don't understand the thing, because they don't know that someone standing in front of them could be from God himself. That's not even included. Does he think he's going to go to the Gentiles? What's going on here? What does he mean by, "You cannot come? Because they're not looking forward. You ever wonder how Simeon in the temple, no warning whatsoever, he just knew that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's deliverance? A couple walks in with a baby and he knows this is the Christ. Are you that kind of person? Because you are waiting for the Lord's righteousness, you're waiting for the voice of the Lord in some Messiah. We want to know if the right thing... Other people want to know what the right, the perfect argument is for everybody. Sure, everybody is a different argument. You ever think that there isn't one, a perfect argument for everyone? Because until people are perfected in one way, in other words, they become hearers that want God. The the passage out of Hebrews, I always quote, anyone who draw near to God must first believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If you run near to God, those are the rules. I don't make them, I just apply them. We don't, we'd like to think that the world, since Jesus died for everybody, that everyone could be saved. And all we just need is that perfect argument, that perfect moment, the perfect song that would make them feel all gushy inside. and They walk forward and sign the card. This is more about not God justifying himself to us so that we would believe, but us being justified before God. Who are we? Who we are is going to determine whether or not we've turned. And we turn rightly, not just temporarily. You see a lot of that. People who fall away after persecution. I have that John 6 passage here on the side. It's often quoted. The Jews then murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Says the same Monty Python problem. Jesus answered them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. So there. No one can come to me. I don't, he, Jesus says, I don't care if you guys believe. I, I understand that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, of course, there are theological arguments that are rooted in that verse, and you're wondering how am I just passing over them. Well, because of the next verse. It is written in the prophets... And they shall be taught by God. All be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. That's synonymous for no one comes to me except the Father who sent me draws him. How does the Father draw them? By teaching them. Speaking to them. And that's the person in chapter 7 who has the the will to do God's will, who has heard already from God in any number of ways, nature, the word of God, the hearing of the gospel, the inescapable nature of the presence of a God because of the things that are made. Look at what he says in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and proclaimed, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now, that's like eating the bread. I am the bread of come down to you from heaven. I am answer to your thirst. In whatever case it is, this is a matter of desire. Things get in our way because they get, it, they get in our way simply because we don't desire. I don't know if you were ever 14. I was 14 once, and I was in love. And she was obviously the will of God. She was the pastor's daughter. I mean, what could be more the will of God? I told my father, that man there, that Charlene Johnson was the will of God. He laughed at me. I took I took Umbridge. It's powerful, powerful story. He laughed at me at fourteen or fifteen. It might have been fifteen, but It's amazing what, when you thirst for something, when you're in love, every rational comment that your parents might make, you do know the engine is seized up, but I want this car so bad. I remember a friend of mine buying a motorcycle, Ducati 250, it was seized up. I just pushed him around the yard on it. He bought that. He wanted a motorcycle so bad, A motorcycle seized up didn't matter, but we had a good time. And we we, we want things so bad, every reason in the world isn't enough to get us to do it when we don't want it, and any reason in the world is not enough to stop us when we do. All I'm asking this morning is you ask yourself whether you want Jesus Christ that bad. Second, do you want his righteousness that bad? that no matter what they're going to say, no matter how much they're going to question whether you have any authority to say what you're saying, whether you're quoting anybody important or you have any ordination papers. Jesus even, this is, I know recently we were in James and we quoted a passage that is in the Bible, at least in your Bible. Here's another one. This doesn't come out of the Old Testament. Out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. It doesn't exist in the Old Testament. Do what you want with it. But Jesus is still Jesus. This is what's amazing about this man's righteousness. Do you care about righteousness? He said this about the spirit which those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. If you're wondering where you're putting the Pouring out of the Holy Spirit to people. But He's He is promising them a righteousness in the new covenant by the work of the Spirit. Because the work of the Spirit, first one, love, right? Love fulfills everything. You shall love the Lord your God, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is what fulfills the law and the prophets. So he is pointing the thirsty for God and righteousness. To himself, believe in me. If you believe, right, in me, this is going to happen. This is really creepy if this is not the Christ. Can you imagine some hippie who doesn't bathe frequently enough telling you, believe in me. That's all I ask you to do, believe. Or you see these swamis from East Asia, you know, back in the day, promising enlightenment, and you just believe in them. And if you're a sensible person, you go, I don't want what you're making. Do you want what Christ is making? When they heard these words, some of the people said, this is really the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said... Does the Christ come from Galilee? Somebody has got the argument. i got a verse. Has not the scripture said that the Christ is descended from David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? And you go, oh, he doesn't know that this guy was born in Bethlehem. He really does fulfill the prophecies, but the person just doesn't want it. The person just wants to have the verse. I know where he comes from. Do you thirst? Do you believe? Do you always turn to verses to support whatever it is? Or do you find one of the things that as new theologies come across your path don't get like the Pharisees or the Jews here even if you say I don't know the reason you should be going I don't know is it either doesn't sound like your God or it doesn't sound like righteousness. Not because you've got a verse. If you've got some verse about your eschatology, God help you, it might be true, it might not be. But I would give some guys viewpoint, real consideration, if his life, what they were representing was the righteousness of God, faithfully lived, replicated in their children. You want righteousness because you're, you're supposed to be triggered by who God is and his righteousness. So there was a division among the people over him. That's what we're talking about this morning. What's the, how are we divided? Do we want the righteousness? You know, sometimes in your battle against sin, it's not really the problem of you knowing enough Bible verses or you having some trick you can use. It's because um, you don't want righteousness. Simple. You might want to check that. The officers, I like this a little bit, then went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, "Uh, no man ever spoke like this man. This is like a comedy script running through this section. You can see these Keystone cops or whatever Coming back, a really strong, tough guy, soldiers who were told to go arrest him. And they said, I was a little confused. No one ever spoke like this guy. Because some of those soldiers undoubtedly wanted righteousness. The Pharisees answered them, Are you led astray, you also? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him, for heaven's sake? I've been, you know, I, I'm not saying this in some sort of sneaky way to make you think that I'm trying to represent my own views as the views of Jesus Christ, but I did experience this whenever I say some of my flakier notions. One of the first things people say is, does anybody else believe this? Anywhere? In the world? Ever? I, I say, "Oh, yeah, I hope not. I would like to get credit. I'd like uh, that doesn't even to work very well. Hmm. None of the Pharisees believe this? I said, I hope they don't. They're saying this. The comedy is there. Nicodemus. But this crowd who do not know the law are accursed. That's the deplorable's remark. That's that's <laughs> that's uh, Hillary Clinton saying that the deplorables don't go with the going. People following Jesus don't know what they're doing. Nicodemus, you recognize him from earlier in John, who had gone to him before and who was one of them said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee also? Search and you will see that no prophet is to arise from Galilee but you should be like the soldiers or like Nicodemus who went to him in the dark and was confused and had the righteousness of God laid out in front of them, uh, they would say no one's spoken like this man before read Christ, read the gospels see if your heart, your, your own thirst is no one speaks like this oh you can read Confucius, you can read somebody else too you're going to go, there's nothing like this. There's nothing like this. And if somebody says, well, I don't think he fulfills the prophecies written in the book of Daniel, I says, I don't care. No one talked like this. This is righteousness. I am a person who loves righteousness. The Christians are to be people who love righteousness. The problem of sin in the world is the problem of sin in the world. And Jesus died for it, and that's the gospel. So let's be looking at him for that. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Very grateful. In your son's name. Amen.